Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host Ant and you join me today for episode number 131 in which I'm going to talk about the dark night of the soul. Ooh, mysterious. <laughs> um, I think it's quite a pertinent time to be talking about such a thing because there's um, within the alternative sphere there's a lot of discussion, very interesting discussion around about um, this idea or I should say this notion that humanity is going through a type of collective dark night of the soul. Um, I think that's an interesting thing to consider. I'm not sure it's exactly true and hopefully you'll understand why by the end of today's particular episode. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you are doing well and managing to uh, remain grounded and sane during these intensely uh, uh, destabilising and insane times. It can be a, it can be a real challenge just to to put uh, just to put one foot in front of the other on, on some days with so much that's going on. Anyway, hopefully by the end of today's episode, you'll be a little bit more <laughs> sane and grounded and in the process know a little bit more about the dark night of the soul. So in today's episode, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the origins of what the dark night of the soul means. Uh, I'm going to look at a little bit how it, uh, look a little bit about how it differs from depression and also some of the conditions or circumstances in life that can lead to it coming to pass. And also finally, just going to, in the second part of this particular episode, I'm going to talk um, a little bit about my um, own experiential journey with a dark night of the soul. It happened back in 2006, in the latter part of 2006, uh, into the early months of 2007. And it was only subsequently that I realised that I was going through a dark night of the soul when I um, did some real deep diving and some internal analysing. And I'm going to talk um, about that because it's hopefully will help to flesh out an understanding. It might relate to some of your own experiences. Anyway, let's crack on. Um, normally when we think of the dark night of the soul, of course we think of um, Jungian, Carl Jung, the great Carl Jung, and in terms of his notion of making um, the shadow conscious, and one thinks, of course, of the process of individuation in which uh, a human being becomes um, a whole rather than what we uh, normally are, which is a um, kind of fractured. And during the process of individuation, it is um, quite common for one to experience not one, but quite a few dark, dark night of the souls. But actually, um, the origins stem back to the 16th century, uh, interestingly enough, and a Catholic mystic called Saint John of the Cross. And um, he's actually just going to share an ex extract from a poem, funny enough, called The Dark Night of the Soul. <laughs> and I quote, and this is his own words, if a man wishes to be sure of the road he's travelling on, then he must close his eyes and travel in the dark. Mm, I think you'll agree that's very, very, I think that's um, deeply wise and profound. I think that's what we, we all really um, grapple with, um, because obviously our egos desire a safe and predictable life and that you know it's around about routines and, and repetition and not putting ourselves in dangerous situations but obviously as that um very profound quote or statement um speaks to you know growth that isn't where um we find growth and expansion and obviously um 
part of the dark night is the soul is whereby the soul yearns for the complete opposite of this sort of safety that the ego um that the ego craves not that this isn't going to be an episode in bashing the ego i don't just don't think that's really particularly helpful to be, to be honest i think we um as i've said before on discerning consciousness many times the the ego we have an ego for for good reason it's about um putting it in its place and making sure it's not um it's not the rider of the carriage so to speak um so i mean you, you're probably very uh familiar with the very sort of um straightforward understanding of a dark night of the soul in terms of a feeling uh, a deep and profound feeling of disconnection utter emptiness utter emptiness and all meaning uh, in life is lost and at the same time i know this is true from my own experience which i'll talk about a bit later is this idea of constantly um grappling with big life questions or profound questions about the meaning of life to the extent that it it actually becomes uh, really hard just to live um, a normal um, sort of day-to-day -day existence you know trying to work and pay the bills when you're when you're constantly fixated on these larger shall we say um, existential questions um, I've just I've just kind of come up with this sort of uh, quote not to sound ground, grandiose in any way I would describe the dark night of the, of the soul as the pain or suffering that we experience in life due to not living in accordance with who and what we are at the core of our of our being. So for me, that's just kind of like um, a little bit just to put it in as few words as possible. And it's really it's in essence, it's the soul's yearning uh, or call or call, sorry, to wholeness which is, is typically experienced, which we typically experience, I should say, sorry, as a deep sense of, of loss or a sense of purging or cleansing uh, and, the, and kind of like the loss of everything that we, that we uh, once believed to be true or mistakenly believed in, um, which normally happens to be an, integ an integral part of our sort of false egoic um, personality or, or identity. Just to flesh out this sort of um, basic idea of what we mean by a dark night of the soul. There's a really interesting quote here. This is um, from um, a book called, I haven't actually got this book, sounds really interesting though. It's called uh, Awakened Empath, The Ultimate Guide to Emotional, Psychological and Spiritual Healing. Now this is by um, a chap called Matteo, assuming it sounds like a male name, Matteo Soul and Soul as in S-O-L. I believe it's um, a book that has um, contributions from uh, many different authors. And anyway, in this book, he said, I, I quote, when we lose touch with our soul, we lose touch with our inner guidance, wisdom and strength. Sometimes it can take us many years to get back in touch with the divine presence within us. This period of feeling lost and disconnected from the divine is called the dark night of the soul. Um, I don't know if you, you guys can relate to that, but um, I certainly can. I think that, uh, again, that, that puts it in, you know, it's a nice little distillation um, of what we're, what, kind of like what we're trying to gain an understanding of here. And um, now might be a, a good time to just, um, just move on and look at sort of some of the kinds or types of, sort of generic 
um, circumstances in life um, that can give rise to a dark night of the soul, as I was saying at, at the beginning of this episode. Um, I feel it, is, it can be, always commonly I should say, when we're not living our dharma or true purpose in life and playing safe whilst running away from our fears and insecurities. Gosh, that sounds a lot like me at the moment. I don't know about you guys, if you can relate to that. Or, or it could be where we're in a situation where, whereby we're constantly running away from problems and personal issues that we need to face in life uh, in order to expand and grow. And like I said, these are general themes. And within these couple of themes, of course, there are numerous individual examples or sets of or a set of personal um, individual circumstances that you know you might be able to relate to you might be going through real horrors horrors at the moment and I feel that we always um, I feel that we there is a sense in which um, even in with the busyness of our day-to-day -day lives if we are looking to expand and grow and if we do regard ourselves as you know being on a spiritual journey or an expansion uh, or a journey of expansion and personal growth when we do know when we have this sense in which when we are running out running away from from ourselves and it can be can be really can be really quite painful so in some sense um it could be said that what i've just dis described perhaps in your own mind it sounds very much like clinical clinical depression but within um, studies of the dark night of the soul, there are kind of some unified theories, if you like, um, as to the key differences. Um, and the first one, uh, which I tend to agree with from my own experience, is that um, the dark night of the soul tends to differ from clinical depression in that it's more of a spiritual and existential crisis uh, that tends to be um, sort of like any solutions are outside of the remit or the realm of psychological therapies and treatments. I mean, they might help. And of course, when one is going through a depression, one might feel like they're having an existential crisis. But I think in the main, uh, it does tend to be more so that in the, uh, when one is experiencing a dark night of the soul. Secondly, uh, another difference is, is um, the deeply challenging realisation. And I've had this one a few times as well deeply challenging realization that we can only save ourselves and uh, this reinforces um, a sense of, um, of pain and isolation and uh, of course very much with clinical depression we seek the help of therapists and counsellors and different types of um, psychological treatment perhaps medication in some instances can be beneficial in short term um, but it doesn't really necessarily, um, we, we also, we, there's a sense in which we get um, help by sharing our problem, uh, uh, sharing our problems. And I don't think there's this idea so much that we can only save ourselves. Um, you know, it, this whole idea of a, a problem aired is a problem halved is, you know, very much within the whole idea around um depression which doesn't necessarily ring true uh, for a dark for experience of a dark night of the soul and thirdly we've got this idea of um, with a dark night of the soul um, as I've been saying before the trauma trauma tends to be based upon existential questions such as what is the point of life 
what is the meaning of my life and how should I live it? But of course, all of these could in and of themselves lead to depression as well. So there's there's no, you know, they're kind of like, um, it's not an either or necessarily. And then lastly on this point, um, sort of as an enduring legacy of the dark night of sight or a dark night of sight, I should say, we are changed forever. And I knew that from my own experience, that's what I felt. So kind of like the way in which I saw myself and aspects of the world really did profoundly change. And um, everything in life is trans transformed and we are born anew from the burnt embers of our former identity. So this leads to the thought or the suggestion that in order to transform and grow, we have to accept the necessity of suffering. And that's the, and I think that is, I mean, that's the um, thing that many eminent philosophers and psychologists down the years, going back to ancient Rome and Greece and to the more um, modern um, kind of German philosophers, um, like uh, the likes of Schopenhauer, etc., um, and Nietzsche, who grappled, you know, with such questions, because as we know, on the one hand, um, we need to embrace this idea of um, the necessity for suffering, but by the same token, um, you know, the ego and you know, um, attempts to make sure that we um, we don't we don't come to any harm. So it's it's really it is really really difficult because in our day to day lives we do everything possible. There's nothing wrong with that to avoid unnecessary pain and uh, and suffering it's a real it's one of those dilemmas or queries or quandaries or ir irreconcilable aspects of being a human being and i and i find it yeah it, it is a real it's a real it's a real challenge isn't it it's a real challenge so there's also this leads to the idea that we can only embrace our true nature um, by walking into what I call the alchemical alchemical purifying fires, knowing that we are an internal being and that we can never be destroyed. And that in order to transform, a big part of the dark night of the soul, of course, is, is, is that we do become stripped bare of all our falsehoods, leaving just our core essence, which, as we know, is an extremely, extremely painful proce process to go through. And um, just making reference again to this whole idea of the lasting impact is we have to give up something in order to gain something. That's a, you know, a basic um, kind of uh, esoteric law, if you like. Um, so this is, is sort of akin to a simple rule of existence um, that applies to um, the dark night of the soul as, as the, um, you know, as the, the butterfly emerges um from the cocoon it has to give up it has to give up um the safety of the cocoon the safety of the shell in the same way with snakes in the wild when they shed their skin they tend to burrow underground during the process and they completely um they completely withdraw and they just they just basically go inward on in their own kind of and draw on their own own resources there are, there are many kind of parallels uh, within nature that we can talk about that do speak to uh, kind of the universal nature of the dark night of the soul and this idea that we have to give up something, we have to 
purify, not necessarily in an ascetic sense or religious sense, um, but it does have a lot of parallels or overlaps um, within nature. And we can think of this process in terms of the need to remove the outdated confining structures that are used to accommodate the wishes and desires of the ego. But the reason why the dark night of the soul is such or is such or sorry, a traumatic experience is because to the ego, this this feels like we are dying. And this is what happened to me. I'll talk a little bit more about this later. I literally felt like I was dying. Um, I've had periods, quite long periods of depression, anxiety. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And, um, as powerful as it is, um, when we're experiencing this idea of an egoic death or a shamanic death, it um, can also be uh, an integral part. You can describe it, sorry, in those terms as being an integral part. Um, we do need to, the best we can, to embrace and surrender to the process in order to be fully transformed and freed from the limited confines of the false identity we believe to be us. And again, it does sound, doesn't it, when we, we I use these words and it, oh, it sounds so, it's such an easy process, the dark night of the soul. But of course, um, you know, when we're in, when we're immersed in this process and we can't even function and we're struggling to just get through 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 each day um you know it can feel a little bit condescending it would feel a little bit condescending if someone you know a pal or a friend came up to us and said don't worry don't worry you just need to embrace and surrender to the process you know i think there might be a few <laughs> expletives um thrown away anyway just moving on a bit here so returning to a key dimension of the dark night of the soul and that is the sort of this idea of the existential question that tends to haunt us when we're going through a dark night of the soul. And what is what is the point of life and existence? Well, if we just break down for a moment, just try and get to the core or the hub of what that means. Some of the common characteristics of such a question is a sense of despair and helplessness that comes from the realisation that there is no predetermined path that we can walk, walk in order to find meaning you know this is the kind of staple of many a new age sort of self-help book that are groaning on my shoulders on my shoulders groaning on my bookshelves i should say um, so when we constantly strive to find a meaning to life and we return to the same we, what we find ourselves doing is returning to the same place of pain and suffering because we think right all we need to do is find a meaning to life. It might be a new theory. It might be joining a mystery school. It might be finding a new spiritual group. All of the above or none of the above. But we, we, what, we, what happens is inevitably we return to the same place of pain and suffering over and over. And then we're forced to accept, as has been said, nothing particularly profound about that, uh, this statement, that there is no, there is no meaning to life. There's only meaning to life. The only meaning there is to life, sorry, is the meaning that we place upon it uh, ourselves. And I think that is for people who are, who I'm going to talk about this in a future episode about the danger of sort of mind orientated or intellectual orientated spiritual awakening. I think the people who've fallen into that trap, like myself and perhaps like some of you guys listening, 
um, it, it can be really difficult because we think, right, I'll just finally I'll, I'll, I'll select or I'll choose a particular healing modality and then everything will make sense and I'll be healed. And finally, I'll have the, my mission or my purpose in life. And yeah, I'll be on my way. And and, and I think um, one of the uh, going back to one of the conditions or causes of a dark night of the soul is when we're on this loop, this cycle of thinking eventually i'm going to find the meaning of life and and we can get dragged dragged into a kind of dark night of the soul as a way of the kind of the soul screaming at us and and trying to impress upon us that you know we're just on a a sort of perpetual loop not not that there's anything wrong wrong with that because um there's always a lot of discovery that comes with that as we know but just moving on again with this idea of existential questions in essence all existential questions existential questions sorry are rooted in the desire to find happiness and peace of mind well that unites humanity doesn't it so what does that mean for a person experiencing a dark night of the soul well healing can only take place with the destruction of everything that was once thought would bring happiness and uh, i know i've certainly experienced that um around about four years ago at the end of my last relationship <laughs> Uh, romantic relationship that understanding was certainly brought um, to my to my awareness so yeah just to mention things like a new partner we think a new partner new career new house a holiday lots of money uh, a new business deal a new business venture personal success will bring us happiness and of course we know that isn't necessarily the case so it's said that the greatest gift we can receive uh, by going through an experience of the dark night of the soul is that gift of awareness that happiness and contentment is constantly available right now in the present moment. Back to Urquhart Tolle's The Power of Now, of course, a very good book. And of course, many, many other eminent people have spoken about it in the past as well. But before we can achieve such a deeper, profound level of awareness, we need to fully embrace a sense of inner emptiness. So back to what I was talking about before, this idea of the alchemical fire and internal purification process because within the this sort of sense of emptiness and despair we can come to the we can come sorry to appreciate that everything in life is transient and subject to change therefore all we need to do is fully embrace the experience of being fully alive in the moment easily said that one as i'm sure you'll fully appreciate easily said but uh not necessarily so so easily integrated and actually fell on a on a deep um on a deep sort of soulful level so in a sense we're left with a type of paradox really in that we can't continue living as we have been as we have been i think this is a another key element of the sort of dark night of the soul because something has to change and those who have experienced the dark night of the soul um, are changed in fundamental ways at the very core of their being and it's as I said before the complete destruction of formerly held belief systems and ideologies and ideas about self and the external world and they can follow and this has happened to me uh, this sort of I had this sort of euphoric period or it can sort of be characterized as a period of deep connection when we get a short glimpse of the divine uh, and I did I for um, a few weeks afterwards I had I would find myself dipping into 
what one would only only could describe as sort of euphoria could just be sitting and not really doing anything and this sort of euphoric sense or, or a state of well-being would um would 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 come over me and then subsequently that kind of dimmed over time and and lessened and then I was um back to where I was before my dark night of the soul and uh, it can be um that that can be the confusing thing because initially after a dark night of the soul um it can feel as if yes I've cracked this spiritual malarkey this spiritual game now I'm this awakened human being and it depends it depends um what what uh the extent of the healing and the purification because it could be quite often that we we might need in order to you know expand our soul's growth shall we say that we need to experience um many dark nights of the soul uh, that can be um a truly horrific <laughs> um to to think about um can be quite horrific to think about that anyway just moving on to part two of this uh, particular episode today and I'm going to, I've made a little few references. I'm going to talk about what happened to me, what happened to Ant back in sort of from the summer into the autumn 2006 into the early months of 2007. So I'll just explain. Back then at the time, I was living in Southampton, which for those of you who don't know, is a smallish town on the south coast of the UK. Now, it's not known to be a hotbed of... Uh, <laughs> um sort of spiritualism or a hotbed of um alternative um ism uh, people who are into into sort of alternative ways of living being or or which would just describe themselves as a little bit out there kooky um they tend to gravitate towards the west country um south devon um up to sort of bristol way parts of wales and also uh, around brighton as well but luckily during this time summer of 2006 i found myself part of a really amazing spiritual community and i was doing cool things like taking part in yoga sessions and doing um african drumming drumming circles playing the djembe which is an amazing instrument to play you know if you haven't ever had a go at African drumming, I can recommend that. It's absolutely amazing instrument. And yeah, it was a part of a really lovely group of people actually. And um yeah, it was it was just at my the beginning of my spiritual journey, if I can call it that, before I sort of lost myself in a lot of the more darker, shall we say, truther slash conspiracy rabbit holes um that I lost myself in. I was still kind of um in more of the lighter stuff lighter stuff, so to speak. Anyway, at the time, I was very much fixated upon this idea of meeting a spiritual woman. Yes, I uh, am and was a red-hotted, red-hotted, red, a uh, red-blooded male. I think that's the phrase. <laughs> so yes, I was very much fixated on meeting a sort of spiritual elven-looking chick. Can I say that in this? Can I say the word chick in this period? In this uh, woke um, sort of politically correct age anyway there you go it's my podcast i can say what i like i've said it so i had this idea of i was very much looking into at the time uh, the idea of um spiritual twin flames uh soul connections all that kind of thing um and it it was something that was really on my mind and um i had this thing you know about 
spiritual chicks with uh, dreadlocks and braid or, or braided hair and you know flowery dresses. So um, I think if 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 I was to look at the more darker psychological aspect of what was going on with me at the time, I would say um, a lot of sort of codependency. But what I thought was that um, I was looking to, this, to sort of merge with another spiritual being and our and our two, you know, our two energies and our two consciousnesses would, would meet. Uh, and, you know, I would find this sort of this sort of divinity. And, uh, I, you know, I, I was <laughs> I had I had lost myself in a lot of this kind of less, how should we say, less grounded new age uh, types of information not that I, I don't disbelieve in um, the concept of a uh, soul union or twin flames but I believe in order for that to become a possibility or should we say an eventuality I believe that you need to have done a lot of very very grounded intense inner work and clearing of house shall we say um, to, to, to put it in a very sort of everyday parochial um, sort of language anyway on with the story um, I was I was I was very much uh, uh, intent on this. I wanted to meet this type of woman. I was obsessed with it. Um, it was this deep yearning, real deep yearning. And and the basis of this story, sort of as a, a add on to the idea of the dark night, the soul, um, was um, this idea again the power of, the manif of manifestation. Because you know ultimately um, I got what I wanted, but just not quite in the form that I was expecting it to be. Anyway, let's move things on. So boy meets girl. You can imagine what happens there. OK, I don't need to go into any details there. So I, I hooked up with a, I won't mention her name. I hooked up with a nice young lady uh, uh, from the this said spiritual group in Southampton. And we started kind of like um, kind of like going out from the autumn or fall in 2006. And straight off the bat, it was extremely an extremely intense experience. And what what was really weird, um, unlike normally, you know what it's like when you first get together, boy meets girl or girl meets boy. And you have this euphoric um, sense that finally, you know, someone else understands me. Finally, someone else gets me. And, you know, all the endorphins are flowing, all the cortisols, not cortisol, sorry, all the, you know, lovely hormones life affirming hormones are flowing flowing through our system and, and we feel amazing that didn't that didn't actually happen for me when I met this girl because what happened was um straight off the bat she actually did tell me that she was a paranoid schizophrenic but in a, in a strange sort of way that to me kind of it it um intensified my the attraction because I kind of saw her as a a broken soul and and it and it almost felt like um you know that sort of thing of the the um the moth is attracted to, <laughs> moth is attracted to the flame so in a sense it in it only increase increase or intensified i should say um my 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 attraction but one of the things i remember how this was not like any other sort of um beginnings of a fledgling relationship I'd experienced before was um, because I just felt so depressed and, and anxious. This was before uh, I felt like I, um, how I actually felt like I was, was dying, more, more of that in a moment. Uh, and But the, the curious or paradoxical thing was and finally, you know, I thought I'd obtained what I'd wanted or what I'd, as I was just talking about, what I was so desired 
but I actually just felt so depressed uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and anxious. And it was like the strength of the emotion, my emotional pain was mirroring really um, the strength or, or I should say the extent of um, the extent of, of my delusion. Anyway, just a little bit, just to explain a little bit about what happened. So what what happened was um, it was a very, very toxic for those. So we kind of got together, as I was saying, in autumn 2006. Um, we'd meet up, we'd go on dates, hang out and do the kinds of things that boys do when girls, when, when they meet girls and when girls meet boys, so to speak. But there was always this very sort of toxic atmosphere between us. And quite often what would happen is... Um, this became a became a repetitive situation whereby I'd arranged to meet her in Southampton, but she wouldn't turn up. But then later on, she would phone me and start swearing and and shouting down down at the phone down the phone at me. So there was quite a lot of um, there was quite a lot of um, gaslighting going on. And then as we got towards Christmas two thousand six, this just intensified. And whenever we met, she would just go into these long narratives or these long polemics about how much of a failure I was in life how much how how much of a disaster my life was how much um, she absolutely despised and hated me but the, the, the strange thing was no matter what I did I just couldn't I just couldn't um, I just couldn't drag myself away from her as I said before it was literally like um, like the uh, like the moth is attracted is, is attracted to the flame and just to cut a, a long story shortish, short um, in this uh, in this particular episode, um, as we got towards Christmas, things really began to intensify, and my emotions uh, changed from just feeling depressed and an anxious because I've experienced that at different periods of my uh, of my life um, in the past. It changed to this awful feeling where I literally felt like um, for the few weeks running up to Christmas. Um, I felt like I was dying. I literally, it felt like everything inside me was literally, um, it felt like everything was shutting down. And I was, I was convinced that I was just, um, I was just in, in, in the process of, of, of dying, really. I, I can't put it, I can't put it any other way. I, I remember on one occasion, I contacted one of my sisters and I said to her, look, I feel so awful. You're going to have to you know, perhaps call the authorities and get me sectioned because that's how awful I felt. It was way beyond, um, way beyond um, depression or anxiety. So anyway, I last met up with her a few days before Christmas 2006. And she just again, she she let she let ripped, uh, let let rip. So I should say at me and told me how much she hated me and despised me. And I, I remember just um, sat in a pub as she walked out and I just felt completely bereft. Just like I, I literally felt like I only had um, this sort of uh, I only felt like I literally had a few days to live. That's how um, how awful it, it felt. And yet somehow I felt as if I owed her some as if I should have some loyalty, as if I owed her some some type of allegiance because I thought we had this sort of, um, you know, this sort of um, soul connection, for want of a better phrase. So over the Christmas period, what happened 
um, I reached, it was, as I was just saying, sorry, a few days before Christmas, this massive crisis point. And then as we went, funny enough, it was over Christmas and then on a, over Boxing Day, I, I remember there was just like a feeling, all this energy shifting through my body. It was on Christmas Day, actually, quite a day to experience this, and then into Boxing Day. This amazing, like my whole energy system was literally, I could feel like uh, my body vibrating. I don't know if it was, you know, energy spinning through my chakra system. What was happening? I don't really know what was happening. I, at the time, I didn't have a reference point for what was happening. And then I just amazingly, uh, it was just like this about turn. And I my body just filled completely imbued with um, a sense of a sense of euphoria. It was quite incredible. It's, it literally felt like not to not to make out you know, I'm some kind of Jesus character, but it did literally feel feel like I had gone through a process of dying, or like I was talking about before, purging, uh, and and I was being reborn. And into the early months of uh, 2007, yeah, get it right. Uh, up until about um, April time, so the first three or four months. Uh, my life had just transformed. I remember at the time I was quite social, still quite young, was only in my late 30s at the time. And whenever I went out, it's like, I just, the charisma was um, oozing and pouring out of me. I'd go out and people would literally, I'd be like the Pied Piper. People would literally flock behind me. So the energy, I must have been, my energy level was vibrating at a really, really high level. But again, not to go on at too much length, to cut a, a long story very short gradually what happened to i put it in these kind of terms is my level of consciousness i believe it just came back to what it was before i went through what i've subsequently learned probably was a dark night of the soul i couldn't sustain i couldn't sustain that level of energy or that of all that frequency um within my body kind of thing and then i just went back to you know my standard tick over so again what i was talking about before perhaps that points to or pointed to how much inner work I still need to do because I couldn't sustain it uh, and I think maybe that may be a universal principle of of the dark night of the soul and 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 that's why it can be quite uh, uh well not quite it can be an extremely traumatic experience because you realize oh my god how much they like to use the word work I need to do or inner healing but there's still kind of like a a lot of transformation a lot of healing so that needs to uh, take place in order for me to reach a level of energy or consciousness or reach a state of consciousness sorry I should say that I can sustain that can be sustained or energy level that can be sustained it's it's quite a shock really to to to, to come to that point but anyway yeah it was a it was a, a deeply traumatic experience so what did I what did I learn I'll just end, end this episode on these points and uh, um, what did I learn well you know what I learned was that I'm I'm not you know an empty human being, uh, and that um, as much as at, at the time, perhaps subsequently, I've had this um, this kind of um, propensity towards codependency. Again, it's a very sort of human thing, isn't it? We're all kind of damaged by the system to varying degrees, but you know I've realised that I'm not empty. And that no one is ever going to say is no one that's ever going to save me or complete me. And something else which has um, been quite a hard thing to realise is that we I've come to learn that 
I, I could say we or I attract people, happenings and events um, for a specific reason to help us grow. Or if you want to put it another way, the people that come into li our lives are they tend to be uh, mirrors to aspects of our own being, our own personality, even that, you know, is um, that we're unaware of. Or perhaps it could be aspects of our personality that is um, underdeveloped and we need to bring to the fore. Uh, I also learned that um, I do have uh, the resources and and the uh, and the strength of character to get through life and thrive, and I don't necessarily need a, another human being to do that. I still struggle with that one. And this whole idea of feeling a sense of inner lack um, that can't be healed by seeking the love and and approval of other people, and that's that's been a hard one to grapple grapple with because there are no real quick fixes or easy solutions because as I've experienced it you know um, in my own life and in our lives generally they will continue to be dysfunctional to the degree that we don't have faith in our own capabilities and abilities as I was just talking about so and um, really something else that I've learned is uh, quite a hard one but also empowering is that I am responsible for everything that happens to me in my life. So that's why I constantly need to look at what are my what are what are my motivations in life and what am I focusing my consciousness on and and also as a part of that, what what are, what are my fears? What am I what am I fearing? What am I um, not in embracing in life? And yeah, those were some of the um, things or realizations um, that I came to but perhaps I think just lastly to finish this episode on this particular point I think the most profound thing that I, I learned from what I went through was that the intensity of the experience was really largely driven by my own um, delusion, if you like, by my own, uh, by my own shadow, I think, and that's why it was such a, an intense, an intense experience that uh, needed to be. There were aspects of myself that needed to to be um, brought brought to my attention, really, that I was living, I was living with in such a strong delusion, and that's why the experience was so. Um, intense and of course all of us right now are walking around with all of these delusions about ourselves and 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 the world and i think those that are of the real uh, have the most intense features or characteristics then we will tend to have an event that will come into our life to bring that to our work to our awareness not not our, our higher self will do that not not to punish us it's not about that um uh, but just to just to bring it into um our awareness of the way in which we're the way in which we're off track so that's why again it, it does come back to dare i say trying to cultivate a, a level of discerning consciousness or a level i should say of discernment in our in our consciousness because otherwise um it does make us vulnerable to uh, experiencing things like a dark night of the soul not that it's um wrong not that it, we should be judged for having experienced something like that, but um, when you're not ready for it, <laughs> like I wasn't, 
And it's only obviously when I was going through the experience, I wasn't thinking, well, it's OK. Um, you know, in a few weeks time, I'll be OK because this is a dark night of the soul. It's only subsequently through my own study, largely of Jungian psychological analysis. Um, that I came to an understanding that it's likely that I, what I had experienced was a dark night of the soul. So because it can be obviously a bit contrite or, you know, a bit silly to um, just think that we can we can label these things in the moment when we're going through all the trauma and experiencing through all the trauma but definitely it's definitely I found it helpful to have a context to have 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 a label for what I experienced anyway thank you for listening to my experience uh, of what I went through and um, yeah hopefully um, it might be helpful if you've had a, a similar experience maybe you've had a dark night of the soul maybe you are experiencing a dark night of the soul because of course a dark night of the soul is not necessarily, it's not something that's um, predetermined by length. Uh, it might be something that can endure for, for several years or even decades. It's in some ways in that regard, it's almost um, beyond uh, an intellectual uh, analytical understanding in that regard. Anyway, um, I think I'll leave it there. So thank you so much for uh, listening to my ramblings today in regards to um, the dark night of the soul. Of course, I will return to this issue in, in future episodes uh, because it's, as I said at the beginning, it's very, it's, um, it's very, it's very pertinent um, right now in terms of uh, all the high strangeness that is that, that is appearing on the planet. So yeah, thank you uh, for listening and uh, I will speak to you all again um, in due course. Bye for now.